With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. The first time we spoke with Dessa, she gave us an inside look into the world of indie music. Now she's back to talk about something completely different. Her new podcast, Deeply Human, explores all of my favorite questions. What drives human behavior, why we do what we do, and why we are the way we are. I realize that this is the pot calling the kettle black, but did you not have enough hyphens in your multi-hyphenate existence that you needed to add podcaster to the list? I mean, okay, so on one hand, I feel like you can kind of... You can chalk that up to like a feather in the hat, right? Or you can be like, my hat is only made of feathers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like you're, there's no other way to get a hat. <laughs> I just feel like um, in, you know, like monetizing indie music is tricky. And in, in a luckier way, I, I feel like um, I like language, you know, wherever it goes. And it feels like in some ways the lane partitions about like what counts as a writer versus what counts as a performer versus what counts as a singer. Like those are way more useful for marketing stuff than they are for making stuff. Like I like words and I do anything that has words in it. You know, The connection between the brain and the heart and one's life choices is very personal for you. We've talked about this before, but for those who didn't listen to our first conversation, can you take me back to 2018 when you turned to neuroscience to overcome heartbreak? Yeah, fell in love with this dude in my early 20s. Super rocky, volatile, but very intense. A lot of sweet moments, but a lot of like devastating moments too. And... When it was time to fall out of love with this guy, I just didn't seem to be able to pull that trick off. Like I just stayed in this 
really, um, I don't know, this heartbroken place that it seemed like my peers were able to recover from. Everybody, everybody falls down and takes a nose dive sometimes in love, but I just like wasn't getting back up. And that persisted for so long, for so many years, essentially, that um, it was becoming like, A, a point of embarrassment and B, um, kind of a character defining thing, which I didn't like and affecting my music, which is like the way that I make most of my money, right? I'm just writing torch songs over and over again. And, um, and so after a lot of years of not being able to get out of it, I decided to sort of like undertake it as a project instead of waiting to fall out of love, figure like, is there some way that I can actively make this happen? And um, so I started researching the science of love and attachment and heartbreak and ended up like convincing a couple of researchers to work with me to see if we could change the way that my brain was functioning to lessen those feelings of attachment. You have applied the question to love and to heartbreak. What other topics Hmm. are you going to be applying this question to? Yeah, I mean, okay, so I know why we do it in like shorthand conversations. I think a lot of times we'll think things like, um, are you acting from your heart or are you acting with your head, you know, or are you being guided by your gut? And I know what we mean. I mean, those are kind of metaphorical constructions. But at the same time, I think if we take them too literally, they don't really serve us. Like, there's not like a clean way to partition human action, I don't think. It's like we are this combination of body and mind and instinct and rationality and habit and unconscious. It doesn't cleave apart real neat and easy like that. And so... I think I've been interested in trying to figure out how much of the decisions that we're making in our behavior actually originates from stuff other than our conscious cognition. Because we're real aware of the thing, like when you sit down with your friend and you're like, why'd you do what you do? All the reasons that you'd say out loud, like you're re- you can you can feel your own mind thinking, but you can't feel your instincts at work. So you have to be really deliberate about like taking a hand mirror to that. I'll say that like some of the questions are kind of frivolous, like... Um, why do you get deja vu? I have no idea if that serves a purpose or if that's just like a weird evolutionary glitch, you know? Um, also, like, why do we like and why are we attracted to symmetrical faces? What's with our hang up on symmetry and how does that relate to the beauty? What's up with superstition? Why are some people more superstitious than others and what drives that, you know? So those are some of the kinds of questions that we examine. Ooh, I was like already in because of episode one, but now I'm I'm deeply in. Episode one, you start with your mom um, and you you are asking her who she thinks or what she imagines as a good partner or fit for you. Let's take a listen. When you looked at me little, did you have any idea of the sort of partner that I'd end up with? Like, did you think about that, about me dating when I, when I was little? I think a parent always thinks that way mm. because once you have your wonderful child, you want to make sure that they have a wonderful future. Even when I took a look at the four-year-old, this was a curious mind. And I think when I think about your dating, I can only imagine that it would be someone who would be equally curious I think that being a physical person, the physical strength of the person you're with actually matters. What do you mean? Like like someone I can't win in an arm wrestling match? Yes. Someone who could pick you up and twirl you around. Okay, just for the record, I'm like 145 pounds and 5'10", so that narrows it down. <laughs> there are a lot of guys out there like that, though. Do you know what Tinder is? Do you know the app Tinder? Yes. Mm-hmm. Next time we have lunch, do you want to like 
drive my Tinder app and you can swipe left or right and you can tell me. Oh, sure. That would be kind of fun. (laughs) Why call your mom? Mm. Okay, so probably two reasons. One is that I wanted to make sure that in all of the episodes, you know, I, as I'm interviewing experts in their fields and, and really like innovative researchers, I don't want it to just be clinical. I want it to relate to lived human experience and to how we're actually making our choices. Um, for some of those most intimate choices and experience, like my life is the only life that I have permission to, to share secrets within. So when it comes to really intimate content, like I have to be my own case study because I'm the only volunteer. And then I wanted to talk to my mom in part because she also had a really interesting story about like finding her partner. You know, she's been married more than once and she knows me really well. So the counsel that she would give me, I think in some ways like represents like the listeners take, like we're all untrained essentially in the science of choice as we're running around trying to find mates. And I don't know, I thought maybe my mom could provide some interesting kind of like like a foil to the to the kind of clinical language that we might use in other ways. And also she's funny and sweet. She was really funny and really sweet. And she does seem to know you really well, which is also sweet because I think sometimes that, that could have gone sideways. Did you actually let her drive your Tinder? I did. I handed her my phone. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's not like she's arranging my marriage, right? Like it's Tinder. But I was really curious. I didn't know if she would be scandalized by the... I don't know, just the format itself. And I was surprised that she had like such strong opinions immediately about these dudes, like hella judgy. (laughs) And I think in some ways it also just like handing your mother, your Tinder account, essentially like a, it does call into question, like how well do the people who know us help us choose, which in a lot of cultures outside of the U.S. is a really big part of mate finding. Like, it's not frivolous, that question. You know what I mean? Parents are very often involved in picking people for their kids to to marry, you know? And, and then second, it just sort of put, like, a human story to how new the technologies that we're using are to, like, find this kind of elemental companionship, right? Like, 20 years ago, no one was doing it this way. And now... A lot of people are doing it this way, you know? So just to like, I don't know, I guess provide my mom as a member of a different generation, like a glimpse into the way that my generation is working at it. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the elephant and Freddy the duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball's filled. 
Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&Ms? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&Ms candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. I squealed midway through the first episode of Deeply Human because you interview Barry Schwartz, who wrote a book that clarified life for me, The Paradox of Choice. And the core thesis, you'll tell me if I'm I'm getting this right, is that having more choices makes it harder to choose. And out of that, the distinction between maximizers and satisficers. Can you describe the difference between a maximizer and a satisficer? It sort of like similarly struck a bell in my brain that like vibrated my skull for a minute. So there are roughly two ways to go about choosing. They're not necessarily discrete, but they can help kind of serve as general guidelines. The first kind of method that somebody might use is maximization, where you're trying to make sure that you get like the very best of what's on offer. You know, so whether you're choosing a frame for your glasses or whatever, you know, apples at the supermarket or a dude on Tinder. Um, The idea is that you're trying to see what all of your options are and then walk with the very best one. Uh, alternatively, you could be a satisficer, which is to say that you know exactly what your lists of desires are. And as soon as you find an option that satisfies those desires, you're good to go. You know, so you want frames for your glasses that are cat-eyed librarian sexy and that are under 200 bucks and that arrive to your door within six days. And as soon as you find that pair, you're good to go. You're not going to stay on the Warby Parker site, you know, for the extra 45 minutes to try to find that best pair. I've literally been trying to buy new glasses (laughs) for about six years. So the fact that this is your example is pretty perfect because I am a hard core maximizer. Like if I am driving down the highway and I see a McDonald's and be like, oh, that's cool. Let me see what else is down there. I'm like, oh, Burger King. I wonder what else is down there. And then I will like get to my destination hungry because I've spent the entire ride wondering if there will be an even better option. So you, I mean, you're a maximizer, clearly a maximizer. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to my crisis. (laughs) Maximizer satisficer to me only overshadowed potentially by the asker-guesser paradigm. Do you know about that? Where it's like an asker will ask you for anything because they always feel that you have the capacity to say no. And a guesser, um, they feel that when they are asked for things, that the thing they're being asked for is a mandate and they would never want to put someone else in that position. And so... They will ask a million questions around the thing they want in the hopes they will ultimately land where they want to land. So a, an asker would say, Dessa, can I sleep on your couch on Saturday? A guester like me would be like, hey, Dessa, got any plans on Saturday? How's your apartment looking? 
your roommate? Like a million questions to get to the point where then you just magically offer me. God, I've been hoping someone would sleep on this couch. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh, Definitely, definitely guesser over here. (laughs) It explains so much because I think before I learned all of these things where I find them helpful is that I thought as a guesser that askers were just trying to drive me nuts. And I thought as a maximizer that satisficers didn't have the same standards that I had. They do. You can have really sharp standards. You're just not driving yourself nuts with this idea that there's something better out there always. And I think also, like, I I wouldn't have been able to maybe articulate it as clearly. But as I've grown older, maximizing, 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 I've become more acutely aware of the price of deliberation. That isn't costless. Trying to find the absolute like cheapest, let's say, solution to your problem. I don't know, a pillow top for your mattress, right? If it takes you 14 hours to find that, right? Then you have to factor in what your hourly rate is usually for 14 hours. Like add that to the cost of the pillow top. (laughs) (sighs) The number of lost hours for me in trying to score just the best possible deal with all the add-ons where it's like, even as I'm in the checkout, I'm like, let me just 100% sure there are no goals. I have eight things in my cart, right? Just just in case. Because I know I'm going to delete seven of them, but God, if I spend another, it's 1 a.m., I could still look for another hour. How then, though, has that all applied to romance and dating? I would maybe start with the caveat that it got tricky because like right after that, you know, episode was recorded pretty shortly after um, COVID hit, you know. So obviously there's been an externality that has disrupted um, dating and all other parts of human life in an unpredictable way. I think the idea that um, that compatibility is like discovered as opposed to developed. It's like numbers, right? (laughs) Discovered or invented. I think that I take that more seriously now. Like the idea that relationship was work wasn't a foreign one to me. That naturally resonates, at least in my past, my experience so far. But the idea that like, hey, for all the swiping, let's say, that you're doing if you're, you know, dating online, how much time did you spend on that, how much time did you spend on that app? And what's your ROI on that investment? Do you know what I'm saying? Like saying no for two hours doesn't actually get you anything like at all. And maybe it would be better, even if I went on dates that don't lead to lifelong partnerships, like maybe it would be better to spend one of those hours in conversation with a human being. What is the cost of my constant deliberation here? And knowing that like, Time is finite. Like, is that how you want to spend it? You're going, no, mm, no. <laughs> it's not super rad. That doesn't feel like a great way to spend life. I met my husband when I was 26. And so, you know, we were semi-formed humans, but we've had the last 11 years to grow together, which, as you said, is work. And there are definitely places where our preferences are different and where they're the same. But I also imagine that if I started dating someone now, then in some ways it would be easier because I would have a clearer sense of who I am and what I want and what I need. But that it would also be much more challenging because I am much more accustomed to doing things the way that I do them. And so this question about compatibility, even just in like a very day-to-day lived way of like, what temperature is the thermostat at? When do I get out of bed? All of those things I, I imagine would be harder now. 
you don't get two shots of the same life, right? So all of us are sort of guessing what it would have been like on the other side. I feel like I am a lock with more tumblers. It just takes more to reach compatibility in that um, the list of things I'm looking for is, is longer. Maybe not because like I'm, maybe it is just more persnickety, but like at 20, for me anyway, like in my early 20s, um, I made about as much money as everybody else I knew in my early 20s, which was not that much. So there's no big striation. Even if there would be as we went on, there was no big striation. And if someone was like, what city do you want to live in? I was like, I don't know. This is where I am. And in early 20s, I was like, you know, like who has the means to run around choosing their cities? Are you out of your mind? Like, whereas now, yeah, like there's, there's more preferences and habits and everything else I think to be considered. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a more complicated puzzle piece. Your parents like mine are divorced. Did you learn anything about how that experience shapes your brain or your thinking about romance? I have strong ideas about it, but I think one of the things that I've also been wondering lately is how do we test our introspection? Sometimes things just feel right. I don't know if that's enough to always roll on. Like historically, a lot of things have felt right that turn out to be pretty long. So intuition for me is a great first step and a really lousy last step. And so I think one thing about my parents, like I probably, as I, as I mentioned, I think in the episode, like I am probably a little Unshy in that I'm so aware of the fact that those first feelings of romance are so overwhelming, but aren't the only feelings in a partnership. And um, I guess historically in some of my long relationships, like when I've seen a guy in the throes of a really big love for me, I'm always like, well, we'll wait and see, won't we? Which is not super, <laughs> super. Yeah, clearly something is very wrong with you and I cannot wait to I'm find out what like, it is. Better enjoy that now. Okay. Cause that's not always going to be, I mean, it's like, a, yeah, it's like an ice cream cone. I'm like, well, you got, you know, enjoy that. It's melting. So. <laughs> beyond love, beyond heartbreak, what can the brain tell us about why we are the way we are? Oh man. I think in some ways learning about the brain can help us be uh, more patient when other people are being super weird. I think it can help us reflect on our own decisions too. Like, okay. I think as a rule, we tend to overestimate how much clear headed decision-making is involved in our own behavior. So like when you read studies about how people are really primed by the environments that they're in, being mindful of the fact like, oh, that priming is at work on me, even if I don't feel it. So is it possible to be more deliberate about what I expose myself to in an effort to elicit the kind of behavior that I want? And maybe you even see that like looking on social media. I think maybe in the past year, a lot of us have reconsidered how that kind of stuff fits into our lives. Like there's something absolutely attractive about it. A cheap sugar high. Very rarely after spending an hour and a half on Instagram, am I like, time well spent. Here, I guess, is a different way though of asking the question I just asked, which is, to what extent are we really malleable or pliable? Like how much about the way we are is just fixed and how much can we actually grow and change? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there is a lot of capacity for change. And I also think that learning how the organisms of ourselves work could naturally prompt us to make different decisions. I mean, think about even like our generation, how much more we know about sex than like three generations ago. For a long time, that was just a mysterious part of you. 
you know, like there weren't, <laughs> we weren't naming stuff, man. Like, I think that it's sometimes hard to imagine how the knowledge will shape you, but knowing is almost always better. After this deep dive on the brain, like what questions do you still have? Oh man. So we just finished season one, which is like 12 episodes. And so we've just started making like uh, the brainstorming list essentially for season two. But some of the questions I do have is like, um, why are we so sensitive to what other people think of us? I mean, to maybe use the social media thing as an example, like somebody you've never met who lives in Quebec, right? Says some hater nonsense on your selfie guaranteed that's going to stick for a second for most people. But really that has no bearing on my actual life. I'll never meet this person. It doesn't affect my job. It doesn't affect my dinner that like, so why do I have any investment in that? I think it's confusing sometimes like the way that our social sensitivities work. Um, I am being super sketch, but I'm like trying to read the whiteboard behind you <laughs> because it's a window into your clearly maniacal process um oh oh wow oh no Dessa. <laughs> okay so for those of you who cannot see Dessa just tilted the camera up and what i thought was just like a normal sheet of paper with musings and plans it's just a wall it's just a wall of plans how has what you've been working on with deeply human mm. impacted the rest of the work that you're doing I think in some way it has focused my attention on questions, which I like because every episode of the podcast tries to answer a question. And I think just the habit of like capturing questions that I want answers to is a good one. I like that. Like I remember a good, good teacher in high school suggested that we keep like a notebook of things we wanted to better understand. And I'm reminded of just like how rad it is to take your curiosity seriously. I think very often that's like put aside as a kid thing. It's not a kid thing. I think it's a super important motor, you know? So I like that. And then um, I think a lot of times if stuff doesn't make it into the podcast, you know, I'm like the creepy, like bottom feeding fish who's like, this is mine now. <laughs> I'm going to take you home with me. I'm going to put you in a little aquarium. <laughs> and your next album is going to have all these strange interludes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Dessa, it's so good to see you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. This is always so sweet. Thank you for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lentico-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our senior producer. Our lead producer is Cedric Wilson. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor and ad ops lead. We love hearing from you when you email us at hola at latinatolatina.com, when you slide into our DMs on Instagram, when you tweet at us at Latina to Latina. Remember to subscribe, follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. And please, I know I ask this all the time, but do leave a review. It is one of the fastest, easiest ways to help us grow.
a little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.